Thank you for joining us today. On the call are Rowan Trollope, CEO, Dan Berklin, President, and Barry Jorenstein, CFO. Certain statements made during the course of this conference call that are not historical facts, including those regarding the future financial performance of the company, industry trends, company initiatives, and other future events are forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Such statements are simply predictions, should not be unduly relied upon by investors. Actual events or results may differ materially, and the company undertakes no obligation to update the information in such statements. These statements are subject to substantial risks and uncertainties that could adversely affect 5.9's future results and cause these forward-looking statements to be inaccurate, including the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and the other risks discussed under the caption risk factors and elsewhere in 5.9's annual and quarterly reports filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, management will make reference to non-GAAP financial measures during this call. A discussion of why we use non-GAAP financial measures and information regarding reconciliation of our GAAP versus non-GAAP results is currently available in our press release issued earlier this afternoon, as well as in the appendix of our investor deck and available in the investor relations section of Five Nine's website at investors.fivenine.com. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Five Nine CEO, Rowan Trollope. Please go ahead. Thanks, Lauren, and thanks to all of you for joining our call this afternoon. I am very excited to be here today, and I'm pleased to report strong results for the third quarter. As you'll see, our teams haven't skipped a beat on execution, and following the decision to terminate the proposed acquisition by Zoom, our leadership team and the entire company are excited to continue the momentum we've built in driving industry-leading growth and transforming customer engagement. We were executing a great business strategy against a massive market opportunity when Zoom approached us, and we are excited to continue to execute on that strategy going forward. So, on to the numbers. I'm pleased to report third quarter revenue grew 38% year over year to a record $154.3 million. Revenue growth continues to be driven by our enterprise business, as demonstrated by LTM Enterprise subscription revenue, which grew 51% year over year. Now, Dan's going to highlight the tremendous booking success we're enjoying, both in new logos and in expansion deals later in the call. At the same time, our commercial business saw more than 30% growth this quarter, benefiting from us targeting commercial buyers who are more focused on enhancing their customer experience as well as leverage from our channel expansion. Now, as these results illustrate, Five Nines fundamentals remain strong and are driven by market momentum, continued product innovation, and our go-to-market machine. So I'm going to discuss each of these in turn, starting with the momentum we're seeing in the market. The contact center market continues to be driven by digital transformation, enabled by the shift from on-premises to cloud, and by a growing demand for AI and automation. We don't expect these immutable trends to abate for the foreseeable future. And with the increasing shift towards digital and the increasing scale in customer interactions, the necessity for businesses to drive efficiency is paramount. We're helping customers do that with technologies like digital channels, which are easier to automate, self-service, and most recently, by deploying digital agents with our AI-powered intelligent virtual agents. The strength of the CCAS market 
and demand for our solutions was on full display at our annual CX Summit in September. This year's CX Summit was our largest to date with over 3,000 customers, partners, and prospects. AI and automation were central themes. We also highlighted delivery of over 200 new features across our products, including WFO, digital channels, self-service, voice stream, hyperscale architecture, and most recently, enhancements to our IVA platform with the launch of Studio 7. Which leads into the next growth driver, our continued focus on product innovation. We've taken the lead in providing AI-powered solutions across live and digital agents with our Agent Assist and IVA technologies. These, coupled with our focus on embedded automation with workflow automation, are making it easier to drive efficiencies than ever before. And evidence of this is shown through the tremendous growth in adoption and usage of our intelligent virtual agents. Now, as you're aware, last November, we acquired Inference Solutions, a leader in the IVA segment. And since the acquisition, usage of IVAs amongst 5.9 customers has increased 180%, and we've processed more than 82 million calls on the 5.9 Inference Studio platform. Penetration and adoption of these solutions have exceeded expectations, and our IVAs now enable more than 750 customers to automate routine interactions over the phone, web chat, mobile messaging, and SMS. We believe automation is the key to managing digital and human capital, and this is even more amplified right now with the tight labor market that we're seeing around the world. Now, as mentioned earlier, in July, we announced 5.9 Inference Studio 7 as the latest release of our low-code IVA development environment. We redesigned and re-architected the platform to make it more powerful and optimize performance to better support enterprise-grade deployments. The platform is tightly integrated with the 5.9 Intelligent Cloud Contact Center, allowing the seamless transfer of context between IVAs and live agents in omni-channel use cases, thus supporting the practical AI use case that we've been talking about. 5.9 is a leader in IVA, earning numerous industry and analyst awards, including Best Application of AI Award at the recent industry event, Enterprise Connect. We look forward to continuing to help businesses deploy an AI-powered digital workforce that can provide a more efficient and engaging customer experience alongside live contact center agents. And finally, I'd like to highlight the ongoing success of our go-to-market machine. We've continued to invest in our go-to-market strategy with additional focus upmarket into larger global enterprises, expansion of our channels-driven business, and acceleration of our international presence. First, we continue to see larger and larger enterprises not only embracing cloud as part of their digital transformation, but also adopting automation solutions at record pace. Now more than 80% of new strategic enterprise customers are purchasing IBAs as part of their initial deployment. Second, our channel partners are leading with cloud solutions from 5.9, as well as taking on more implementation and services business. And our channel bookings are starting to include some large million-dollar-plus ACV deals. And third, we continue to expand our global presence, and our international momentum is increasing. To help our customers grow internationally, we've made significant investments. First, we stepped up hiring, especially in EMEA, where our headcount has more than quadrupled over the last two years. 
Next, we set up a team headquartered in London to lead global telco operations. We've also expanded and will continue to expand our international public cloud instances. Next, we invested in additional digital and outbound programs to increase awareness in key countries and grow our contact database so that we're able to better connect with the right people within target accounts. And finally, we've signed on additional regionally focused partners in our various local markets. As a result of this focus and investment, international revenue from companies' headquarters outside the U.S. in the third quarter grew 49% year over year and marked the fourth quarter out of the last five where the growth rate exceeded 40%. Clearly, our decision to increase our international investment is paying dividends. Now, before I wrap up, I'd like to crystallize our views of the market opportunity and landscape. We continue to see our growth led by enterprises, and these larger enterprises are embracing digital transformation enabled by the transition from on-premises to cloud, and they can afford to invest in automation technology to efficiently scale their contact centers. In this higher end of the market, the purchasing decision is made by the line of business leader who represent almost 90% of our buyers. In conclusion, our performance for the quarter underscores the strength of our platform and the value we deliver to customers seeking to modernize and transform their contact centers. We've differentiated our platform by building a leadership position in practical AI and automation-driven customer experience. The combination of market momentum around digital transformation initiatives, our product innovation strategy, and strong go-to-market execution gives us confidence in the durability of our growth and the ability to continue to grow LTM enterprise subscription revenue in the 30s. We look forward to sharing additional information on our plans to deliver continued industry outperformance and profitable growth at our upcoming Virtual Financial Analyst Day on November 18th. With that, I'd now like to turn it over to our president, Dan Berkland, to share some specific customer wins. But before doing so, I'd like to give a huge thanks to all of our employees and partners. Our progress and where we stand today is the result of their hard work and dedication, and I thank each and every one of them. Dan, over to you. Thank you, Rowan. As mentioned, we continue our strong momentum executing successfully upmarket in larger and larger enterprises, positioning our superior automation solutions, and expanding our international presence while also leveraging our channels and partner ecosystem, who once again influenced over two-thirds of our deals. This is reflected since our last earnings call by having two consecutive record bookings quarters, Q2 being the largest of any quarter in our history, and then backed up with Q3 setting that record even higher. And our pipeline continues to grow to record levels, both in size of deals and in quantity of opportunities. And now I'd like to share some key wins from new logos, as well as some significant expansions from existing 5.9 customers. The first new logo is from a health insurance provider in the Southeast who was using Avaya with no self-service offerings. We partnered with a reseller who had previously maintained their Avaya systems and helped position 5.9 to modernize and automate the customer experience. They now have our full IVA for self-service, a full omni-channel solution, along with our complete WFO suite powered by Verit. And they opted for our 24 by 7 hypercare service, bringing help desk type services to all of their users. 
We anticipate this initial order to result in over $3.8 million in ARR to 5.9. The second new logo example I'd like to share is a medical logistics and transportation which lacked the innovation and automation requirements that they wanted to offer to the more than 5 million Medicaid enrolled recipients within the state. They chose 5.9 and have ordered nearly our entire portfolio of solutions. This includes Platinum IVA to deliver self-service, intelligent call steering, and voice biometrics to authenticate caller's ID. They also have the full omni-channel solution, including chat, email, SMS, visual IVR, and the full suite of 5.9 WFO as well as agent assist to help their agents gain valuable and timely information to reduce call handle times, as well as our workflow automation from Wendu to trigger appointment reminders, schedule changes, and provide status updates. We anticipate this initial order to result in over $2.2 million of ARR to 5.9. The third new logo win I'd like to share is a great example of a company reimagining the customer experience. This global brand manufactures and distributes automobiles through over 800 dealerships nationwide. They were using an older premises-based Cisco and Avaya systems. With 5.9, they'll be using the multilingual IVAs, AI to transcribe conversations and insert them into their CRM, reducing the call handle time and wrap-up times significantly. Performance dashboards, voice biometrics, and the full omni-channel suite of applications, as well as our WFO solutions, including workforce management, QM, and speech analytics. We anticipate this initial order to result in over $1.4 million in ARR to 5.9. And now, as we normally do, I'd like to share some recent examples of existing customers that significantly expanded their business with 5.9. You'll recall the global parcel delivery service company who placed an initial order of over $14 million in ARR to 5.9 in Q1 of this year. They've now placed subsequent orders with us to bring their anticipated total ARR so far with 5.9 to over $23 million. Also, you'll recall the large SI who spun off their outsourcing help desk function and placed an initial order with us of over $6 million in ARR in Q1 of this year who have now placed additional expansion orders with 5.9, which are anticipated to bring their total ARR with 5.9 to over $12 million. We also have a medical device manufacturer who became a customer two years ago that was generating approximately $2 million in ARR and now has expanded for all of their other divisions globally and added IVAs, which will bring their anticipated total ARR with 5.9 to over $8.2 million. So as you can see, these three customers combined now represent over $43 million in anticipated ARR to 5.9. So as you can see, we continue to develop, execute, and deliver solutions, which are at the forefront of businesses' goals to provide a reimagined and innovative experience to their customers. And we're seeing the adoption of these technologies continue to gather momentum. And with that, I'll hand it over to Barry. Barry? Thank you, Dan. Before going into specifics, a reminder that, unless otherwise indicated, financial figures I will discuss are non-GAAP. Reconciliations from GAAP to non-GAAP results are included 
in the appendix of our investor presentation on our website. As Rowan mentioned earlier, we had a strong quarter with revenue growing 38% year over year, driven primarily by our enterprise business, where our LTM subscription revenue increased 51% year over year. I'm also pleased to report 7% sequential revenue growth, reflecting the ongoing revenue durability of the underlying business. Let me amplify on this a bit. Now that we have multiple quarters of trended data, we estimate that the previously disclosed mid-single-digit one-time COVID benefit that we experienced in the second half of 2020 actually extended through Q1-21. However, whereas before we thought we would only retain low single digits of the one-time COVID benefit, it turns out that we have been able to retain virtually all of the pandemic benefit. This is evidenced by our strong sequential growth rates of 4% in the second quarter and the just mentioned 7% in the third quarter, both of which came in at the high end of pre-pandemic levels. Given that we do not have another one-time benefit like COVID, year-over-year growth rates will naturally be lower through Q1 of next year due to the tough comparison. However, the true health of our business will continue to be reflected in the strength of our sequential growth rates compared to pre-pandemic levels. In terms of revenue composition, Enterprise made up 84% of LTM revenue, and our commercial business represented the remaining 16%. Recurring revenue accounted for 92% of our, of our revenue in the third quarter, and the other 8% was comprised of professional services. Our LTM dollar-based retention rate remained at 123%. As a reminder, our continued success in winning larger and larger enterprise customers is expected to cause fluctuations in our dollar-based retention rate as they come onto the platform at different times and ramp at different rates. Over time, despite the inevitable quarterly fluctuations, we expect DVRR to trend upwards due to a higher mix of enterprise customers, especially larger ones, and higher ARPU from our automation and other offerings. Third quarter adjusted gross margins were 64.1%, a decrease of approximately 130 basis points year over year, primarily driven by our ongoing investments in professional services to support the momentum of our enterprise business and investments in public cloud to more efficiently expand our global footprint. Third quarter adjusted EBITDA was $27.4 million, representing a 17.8% margin, a decrease of approximately 370 basis points year over year, driven by both the somewhat lower gross margins and the increased investments in go-to-market and R&D strategic initiatives. Third quarter non-GAAP net income was $20 million, or 28 cents per diluted share, a year-over-year increase of $1.5 million, or a penny per diluted share. Our DSO performance continued strong, coming in at 30 days. Our Q3 operating cash outflow was $4.8 million, driven in part by $6.1 million of transaction-related cash payments during the quarter. We expect that LTM operating cash flow margin 
currently at 7%, to increase meaningfully in the longer term, given our ability to expand gross margins, increase operating leverage, our substantial NOLs, and our low DSOs. Before I share our outlook for the remainder of the year and provide initial comments on 2022, I would like to highlight a few points about the financial model in the merger proxy. First of all, I would like to affirm that we are setting our new long-term targets in line with the 2026 model in the proxy at $2.4 billion in revenue and 23% EBITDA margin. During our financial earnings day on November 18th, we will provide additional details regarding the considerable market opportunities we see, our investment strategy, and our demonstrated ability to execute, all of which will drive us towards these new goals. Also, with respect to the proxy numbers, please keep in mind that they were based on an extrapolated, long-term, top-down model with consistent linearity, whereas, in reality, there will inevitably be quarterly and annual fluctuations, including in the near term. Lastly, before sharing our guidance, I would like to make a clear distinction between our view on the attainability of the new long-term model versus the attainability of our quarterly and annual guidance. The extrapolated long-term model was a down-the-fairway model. For ease of communication, consider the proxy model as a 50-50 model, meaning that we have a 50% chance of making it, but also a 50% chance of failing to do so. On the other hand, the prudent annual and quarterly guidance philosophy that we have successfully followed for many years will definitely not change. With that, I'd like to finish today's prepared remarks with a discussion of our guidance for the fourth quarter and the full year 2021, as well as providing high-level commentary on 2022. For the fourth quarter, we are guiding revenue to a midpoint of $165 million, which represents the highest quarter-over-quarter and year-over-year growth rates we have guided to in any Q4 at 7% and 29% respectively. For 2021, we are guiding annual revenue to a midpoint of $601 million, which represents a record year-over-year growth rate of 38%. As for the bottom line, we are guiding fourth quarter non-GAAP net income per share to a midpoint of $0.36, representing an $0.08 quarter-over-quarter increase, which is the highest sequential increase we have ever guided to in any quarter, resulting in a midpoint annual non-GAAP net income per share guidance of $1.09. I would now like to provide some preliminary high-level commentary on our current thinking for 2022. Before doing so, however, I would like to share with you how we have been looking at our overall investment stance for the upcoming year. As Rowan and Dan have amply demonstrated, we are operating in a market which we believe is set to enjoy many years of sustained high growth. This massive market opportunity warrants a temporary acceleration in our investments in a number of areas, including in automation initiatives, the continuing march up market, and further global expansion. We believe now is the time to capitalize on both our leading position and these opportunities 
to drive growth and enhance our future returns. Let me emphasize, however, that this does not mean we are becoming a growth-at-all-cost company. This is a responsible decision born of market conditions and growth. With this in mind, for 2022 revenues, we are comfortable with the current seed consensus of 24% year-over-year growth. Revenue will once again follow our typical pattern with slightly more than 50% of our revenue in a seasonally stronger second half. We expect 2022 non-GAAP net income per share to come in at approximately $1.09, the same level as the midpoint of our 2021 guidance, despite the accelerated investments we have embarked upon. In addition, we would like to provide an outlook on the quarterly profile of our bottom line. If you look at our historical financials, non-GAAP net income per share is always amongst the weakest of the year in the first quarter. And we expect this to be especially the case this coming year. We expect earnings to improve slightly in the second quarter and to improve meaningfully in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Please refer to the presentation posted on our investor relations website for additional estimates, including share count, taxes, and capital expenditures. In summary, we are very pleased with our third quarter performance. We remain laser focused on executing like clockwork to deliver sustained, durable growth. Operator, please go ahead. And at this time, I'd like to ask all of the analysts to go ahead and turn on their cameras. Okay, we have our first question from DJ Hines with Canaccord. Hey guys, uh, great to see everyone and, and congrats on the results. Um, Dan, maybe I could start with one for you on the, on the go-to-market. I mean, it's, it's great to see the, the massive uh, expansion on these, these mega deals that you guys have uh, closed in, in Q4 and Q1. Can you just talk about the, the pipeline for the mega deals going forward? Are, are there more of them out there? And, and has the narrative that your competitors are, are using to sell against you changed at all in light of kind of what's happened over the last four months? Uh, great. Thanks, TJ. I appreciate it. And, uh, the mega deals from a pipeline perspective absolutely continue to grow. We continue to go at market. Um, part of it is the market opening up, right? They, they've now seen that the cloud can deliver on a global basis the most complex, innovative requirements that they want to reimagine the customer experience. So the pipeline generally, we shoot for a 5X multiple, uh, meaning the 5X coverage over, over the anticipated quota. Uh, in our strategic teams, which handles the high end of the enterprise accounts, uh, that number's uh, closer to 10x. So we feel very fortunate about the future and more and more mega deals, so to speak. Yeah, great. Uh, and then maybe I could follow up with, with one for, for Barry. Um, Barry, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I didn't expect you to come out and uh, confirm the, the 2026 long-term target. Uh, understanding you said it's kind of a 50-50 target, can, can you just talk about kind of what needs to go right in your view to get there? Yeah, thanks, DJ. Um, yeah, as you just alluded to, we did say it's down the fairway, 50-50. Um, a target that we will strive towards um, and distinguishing it uh, clearly 
from our typical prudent guidance, uh, quarterly and annual guidance that we provide, which will remain conservative. Um, um, so what is our confidence? Um, our confidence comes from the fact that this management team has repeatedly demonstrated in the past that we would hit every every goal that we have committed to. And our level of commitment on this particular one is exactly the same. There will inevitably be fluctuations uh, in the near near term as we uh, accelerate some of our investment. But that that march towards that 2.4 billion um, will continue. There's no certainties, um, DJ and business, obviously. But we do take considerable comfort from the fact that this is a massive market. Um, it's coming towards us. A new front door is opened and is driven by immutable trends that Rowan talked about. And what we do is, is truly mission critical. It's a sharp point of the spear uh, with customer engagement. Um, we have over 2,000 employees across the world, expert in all aspects of the contact center from design, sales, implementation, support, and who love working at 5.9, as witnessed by our low attrition rate and our Glassdoor rankings. And as I said before, we have a leadership team under Rowan that um, has repeatedly, year in, year out, demonstrated the ability to execute. Great. Uh, well, well, thank you guys for the color, and I'm, I'm glad we're uh, still doing this. Thank you. Next question is from Mita Marshall with Morgan Stanley. Great. Thanks. Uh, a couple questions for me. Um, first on, you know, some of the eight figure deals that you had won earlier in the year, you were noting, you know, it might take till year end or kind of beginning of the year for some of those to roll out, but yet you're already kind of seeing expansion of some of those deals. And so just wondering, you know, is that implementation going faster or kind of what's causing the upside so early? Um, and then just second question for me, just conversations with customers, maybe post dissolution of the deal or, or kind of conversations with customers during that deal and just kind of, um, you know, what the circle up process has been like uh, post post the dissolution of the merger. Yeah, so I'll take the first part of that. Or Rowan. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Please yeah, the first part on the, on the larger deals, uh, they're absolutely right on track. I mean, as anticipated, they have much more complexity, many more groups that want to be involved. You know, if you if you imagine in, in certain cases, these are large companies trying to revamp how they support their customers and they want to create a consistent yet new and innovative way of serving their customers. And there's lots of internal discussions. It's almost like hurting the cats within the customer is most of the, the delay. You know, people ask us, well, why is there such a long lead time before revenue? And it's uh, if we could get the customer to decide on exactly how to implement, I think it would be a lot faster. But uh, but that's primarily the reason is pulling all of their groups together and making sure that they've properly designed what they want to launch at the outset. Rowan? Yeah, that, I think that sums it up real well. And I think some look, some move actually fairly quick and some take a while. And so you know, it's kind of all over the map on that front. But uh on the your second part of your question, Mita, um, you know, a fairly balanced response. I mean, there was some customers who were wanting to slow down and understand some of the security implications related to Zoom's, you know, um, related to the Zoom acquisition. So there was some of that, especially at the large enterprise side. Um, and and so obviously when we, uh, 
you know, when we moved beyond that deal, those questions kind of got taken off of the table. Um, and then no, nothing really negative from customers, particularly um, on on the either either in either way, either on the transaction itself or on the dissolution. So it's been relatively balanced, I would say, and not not noticeable in, in one way or another. I got it. I mean, just to follow up with Dan real quick. I mean, on the the 14 million deal that was upsized to 23 million. So is that kind of what Rowan was referring to as a customer, like that customer had moved faster and so was already starting to upsize? Okay. Part of it was decision-making across different theaters or regions of the world. (laughs) Some were ready and prepared to process and negotiate their contracts and place their orders. And some of the other uh, geographies weren't quite ready. Um, I wouldn't tie that to implementation timing. It's just a matter of they independently make their final decisions and final contract negotiations. And you'll notice in the script I mentioned that it was uh, so far. So we're we're not done. Great. Thank you. Next question is from Jackson Ader with J.P. Morgan. Oh, great. Uh, Thanks, guys. I'm on for Sterling Audi tonight. It's good to see you. the first question from our side is, did the, you know, the Zoom merger or kind of that, that period of time, did it impact um, any deals? You know, did people put things on hold while uh, while those discussions were being had? And um, if so, have, have we closed those since <clears throat> since that, that, you know, deal has kind of gone by the wayside? Yeah, I'll start that. Um, nothing was really put on hold. We had several accounts where they wanted, as Rowan alluded to earlier, where they wanted to have more meetings and multiple discussions around whether it was security, on changes, how we would support them. But all along, we had intended to operate as a, as a separate entity, and we explained that very clearly, that, uh, you know, these were very different swim lanes that our two companies were in. It would have been incremental business for us uh, to be with Zoom, but we were we needed to maintain uh, our focus on the line of business buyer and implementation and support the way we've always done it. And so I think they, they took great uh, comfort in the fact that we were going to remain uh, largely intact the way we have been. And uh, so nothing really got pushed or, or, you know, taken off the table. It was just a matter of extra meetings and longer discussions and just a few extra items there. But uh, everything remained on track. We didn't miss a beat. Um, we, as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, we had our two largest bookings quarters ever, um, you know, both in Q2 and Q3. So onward and upward. Okay. Gotcha. And then quick follow-up for you, Barry, the commentary on uh, the pandemic tailwind and that kind of flipping in the first quarter maybe to a headwind. Could we just get a, a clarification of that? Are you just talking about coming up against difficult comps, or is there any reason why, um, you know, a, a reopening might might uh, impact the number of users or seats that you guys actually have live on the platform? Thanks. Yeah, so uh, for us, the uh, COVID tailwind, that one-time tailwind, Jackson was, um, you should consider it basically Q3 of 20, Q4 of 20, and Q1 of 21. And um, as I said in the prepared remarks, the incremental uh, revenue that we picked up, four to five percentage points sequentially each of the quarters in those three quarters, um, has uh, you know, 
has has started to abate starting in the se- started to abate starting in the second quarter. But the residual quarter over quarter increases in Q2 and now in Q3 of 4% and 7% respectively um, are at the high end of the pre-pandemic level. So we, we're keeping all of that. But the way to look at our business through Q1 of next year is to look at the sequential growth rate because that really is the true comparison until we lap those tough compares. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks, guys. Good to see you again. Thank you. Next, we have Ryan McWilliams with Barclays. Hey, good to see you guys. So pleased to hear that you're seeing more deals and larger deals in the pipeline. Now, with the frequent addition of inference to your enterprise bookings, are you also seeing improved seat pricing for new enterprise wins? Um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, an uptick in the ARPU, if you will. Um, and that's primarily from the plethora of applications that we have in our portfolio, right? Where it's not just IVA. That's the most prevalent that the enterprise uh, buyers are opting in for. Um, some of them, though, opt in for a very small number so they can test and see what use cases are going to be most effective and deliver the best ROI. Um, but when you add workforce optimization and the work and the workflow automation and the other applications that kind of go across all the seats, um, you get more uplift. So we're starting to see an uptick. Um, we can talk more about that at the financial analyst day when we dig into more detail. Great. And there's two quick ones for uh, Rowan and Barry. Rowan, are we starting to see contact centers return to in person? And then Barry, um, just for booking seasonality, you know, as you more, move more and more enterprise, you think you'll see more booking seasonality shifts in the fourth quarter. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. On, on in-person, I don't know if Dan has more color. I only have anecdotal. You know, we're seeing something similar to what we're seeing with office work, which is it, it varies by the by country. In the in the Philippines, they've just ordered 10% of their employees back into the office. I think, for example, um, by government mandate. Uh, so I think it's kind of all over the map, and it's hard to say. Uh, to generalize right now. And um, I'm flattered that you would ask me the question, but uh, I'm going to actually, on bookings, I'm actually going to defer, Ryan, to Dan to talk about whether or not uh, the fourth quarter it would be typically now with the enterprises a more stronger seasonal quarter. Yeah, typically, you know, year-end, there's budgets to be spent. There's folks that want to get projects completed um, we can't really talk too much about the future, but, um, you know, Q4 started off very nicely and, uh, we, we see, uh, great optimism in reaching our numbers that we've, uh, that we've put in place for you all. Great. Good to see you guys again. Congrats on the result. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Next question is from Scott Burr with Needham. Hi, everyone. Congrats on a good quarter and thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to go back to something that uh, uh, Rowan, you'd said in your prescripted remarks. You made a couple different comments around uh, partner traction in particular, both uh, kind of down market a little bit, but specifically up at the uh, on the higher end. You'd mentioned channel partners are starting to contribute some deals greater than a million dollars in ACV. I, I guess as you ask, as you look at, at at those partners that are helping on the high end of the market, is there any reason to think that those customers can't help drive some of the same maybe high single million-dollar ACV deals that you have or, or eight-figure deals uh, in your pipelines? Uh, maybe, Dan, you could take that one. Yeah, well, they are. I, Scott, are you referring to our resellers and partners bringing us million-dollar-plus opportunities and deals? Yes. 
yeah, that's happening already. I think as, as Rowan mentioned, um, you know, we've seen several of those that are coming through the channel now. Um, the channel business is growing. Uh, just resellers and referral partners alone make up over 40% of our bookings. So it's, uh, it's giving us great reach. If you think about it, we've got thousands of people now out in the market uh, globally um, representing and endorsing 5.9. And um, it just brings more opportunities to bear. And uh, so we're seeing that regularly. And as I mentioned earlier about the very high end of the market, you know, we talk about this underpenetrated TAM. At the high end of the market, we're just getting started as an industry. I mean, this is they are the last folks to go. And so when we talk about some of these mega deals, they really are the early adopters of the large, large enterprise. So we've got a whole, when we talk about our pipeline growing in our strategic accounts, it's clearly our, our largest area of investment and our largest and most accelerating area of growth. So all positive there. Great. And then to, to, to follow up, Barry, on your comments, my guess is you're not going to take this one. You'll defer this one as well. But you talked about reiterating your uh, 26 uh, revenue targets uh, that was in the merger proxy. But how should we think about that, you know, what's driving that growth rate over the next, you know, three, four, five years? Um, because it's a, it's certainly a step up function from what the company's seen in general over the last four or five years. Is it more of a function of just more deals in the space? Cause we've hit that inflection point where everything's going cloud. Is it a change in win rate assumptions in there or maybe just this large deal environment that's driving, you know, some of that confidence? Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to take uh, a stab at that, Scott. I'd be delighted to, and if Rowan and Dan will course correct, I'd appreciate it. But basically, it is more of the same boring story that 5.9 has been talking about. We're in public at 22% year-upon-year growth. The march-up market in a strengthening environment has taken that now to, to 38 against a tough compare, year-over-year, I mean. And, um, and it's all evidenced by the fact Scott, that enterprise LTM subscription revenue, Rowan has been saying now for, I think, three, three years, plus or minus, that will grow with a three-handle consistently, at least. And um, and the confidence that comes around it is that uh, every business in America, in the world, aside from an occasional mining company or fishing company, needs a contact center. And the contact center is becoming more important post-pandemic. It's it's the new front door. Think of, you know, basically contact center agents becoming, um, excuse me, retail sales growth becoming contact center agents. And we are, happen to be one of the leaders in this area and have picked uh, areas to focus on that uh, can really help. And we've got all this international runway ahead of us, um, all the automation uh, increase in time ahead of us. And... Um, it's not about, uh, if I can be, you know, we've got two very well respected and responsible competitors when it comes to taking away business from uh, Avaya and Cisco. But those, our win rates against those two are very, very high, you know, well over 70% in each case. So it's not an increase in win rates that we are seeing. Great. Thanks. Uh, nice to see everyone again. Thanks, Scott. Good to see you. Next question is from Samad Samana with Jeffries. Hi, good evening. Uh, I'll echo the, the congrats on executing and with, with a lot of noise in the background, which is I think what we all appreciate a lot about Five Nine. So maybe Rowan, one, one to start off for you. You know, just we talked about customers. Maybe we could talk about how partners, how that conversation has been with your other UCAS partners, 
uh, now that you've, you know, you're back on course to, to go it alone, just maybe how have your partners reacted and what has the conversation been like there? Yeah. You know, we, we continued the dialogue. We continued to stay connected to all of our partners through the conversations with Zoom, really never backed off on that. And, uh, that was a good thing, right? And, and we've frankly seen, uh, you know, further leaning in by some partners post the breakup announcement. Um, and so that's been positive to see. And, you know, of course, that's our, that was our strategy before was to kind of be Switzerland and support all the vendors out there. Um, so I think this really does help us on that front, you know, continue to see the momentum from the other UC, UCAS partners who need great CCAS offers. So it's been positive great. conversations. You can clearly see that in the strong numbers. And then just from a from a company recruiting perspective, it was great to hear about low attrition. I'm just curious, um, as far as uh, the company's headcount, if that was you know, how recruiting was in terms of are you ahead of plan, at plan, for kind of how you thought the shape of the quarter would go for your own headcount, that, that would be helpful too. Yeah. Um, so we're at over 2,000 employees now, and we've been, uh, as Barry mentioned, we really haven't been having a, a challenge with hiring. I, mean, I think the, the, the culture of the company is fairly renowned, uh, at least in our little corner of the world. People want to come work for 5.9. And we've also seen record low attrition. I think at a time when, you know, the headlines are filled with the great resignation and, and this and that, um, our, our employees have really stuck with the company, believe in the vision and the mission, uh, and have been, you know, really the ones behind the, the results that you saw today. So. That's just a reflection of the, the team's commitment and the, the, the deep gratitude I have for our team. That's great. And, Barry, if I could just slip a quick one in for you. Uh, on, the, on the quarterly seasonality that you talked about, is that more comfort around the, the cadence of subscription revenue coming online from implementations or more around the, the usage trends now that you have enough evidence over the last several quarters? No, they Typically moving tandem, not always, but uh, sometimes the usage, as Dan has schooled me, precedes the seats because you don't hire uh, an agent and get them in a seat until you have the calls there. But they move pretty much in tandem. We call That's why we call it the recurring revenue. Great. As always, really appreciate it and great quarter, guys. Thank you so much. Our next question is from Taylor McGinnis with UBS. Yeah, hi. Congrats on the quarter, and um, thanks so much for taking my question. So you talked a lot about um, the, the drivers, I guess, to get to the $2.4 uh, But I guess on the flip side of that, maybe can you talk about what some of the risks are um, in achieving that guide? I guess what's causing, you know, some of that split comfort, and how does that compare to what you guys are seeing in the pipeline today? Barry, you want to grab that, please? Sure. Um so there's basically three ingredients, and I'm oversimplifying for ease of communication, Taylor. Uh, there's the market, the competition, and the execution. And so it's self-evident that the market is there, and uh, we humbly submit that we've also got the ex- execution. So it's really around potential competitors. In that regard, this is not a little app in a phone. This is something that takes four or five years uh, to develop uh, as witness what was done, for example, at Interactive Intelligence at the time before they were bought by Genesis, and, um, uh, and, and, and a lot of money to do that. And you've got to have um, the, the software telephony DNA combination to be able to do that. So 
if you look back and if you consider the part of the line of business buyer who is buying, um, replacing the Vio Cisco um, uh, uh, switch, there's really the three companies, and um, uh, especially I'm talking about at the enterprise level, and um, that's been that way uh, for more than a decade. And so there's been no new entrance, in other words, of scale into the industry in, in years. So there may well be competition. We'll be arrogant to assume that there wouldn't be. But it's also not, I'm going to conclude with this. It's also not just the product tailor. You've got to match that with the um, all the complete services from the partners from ourselves um, across the world in implementation and support. And that takes a long time to build. So competition may well come, but we think we're still pretty well positioned to be able to do it over the next five years. Got it. That's really helpful. And then my last question is, can you just maybe talk about um, what you guys are seeing today in terms of sales cycles and pace of migration activity? Um, growth obviously has been very strong these last several quarters, but maybe you can talk about some of the, some of the assumptions, you know, embedded in the First half of this year, maybe maybe being lower growth, the low 20s, um, uh, 2022 guide, and how to kind of bridge that with the 2.4 billion out year guide. You know, is there any um, part of here where the pandemic could have caused you know some bump in activity? But as you look forward, you know, growth might be more lower but more durable and and, and high into the future. Barry, you want to take the latter part of that? Yeah. So uh, in terms of COVID bumps, uh, our install-based bookings, which are the most evidence of that, uh, show that that ended basically in the first quarter of this year. Uh, it's still reasonably strong, but not, not as strong as the, as the three COVID quarters. Um, in terms of um, the pattern for 2022, um, we have a pretty consistent pattern that um, normally, if you exclude the pandemic uh, benefit, I always hesitate when I say pandemic benefit, it sounds cruel. But uh, if you exclude that, uh, the second half is clearly stronger, uh, especially in the second quarter, but also the first quarter and the fourth quarter is always the strongest. Um, and then with going up to, as you also asked about 2026, um, as I said, kind of be fluctuations, but we'll continue on our way to that number. And with respect, if I could just add, um, I was always there talking about the top line. Uh, with respect to the bottom line, as I mentioned and, and stressed on the uh, uh, on the open call, the the first quarter is always one of our weakest quarters, and that'll be prominently the case this coming quarter. Got it. Thanks. Thank you. Next question is from Joe Mears with Truist. Hey, guys. This is Joe Mears on for Terry. Thanks for taking the question. Um, obviously, you guys have had really strong growth in international markets. I'm just wondering if that's mostly uh, being caused by customers landing larger or are they expanding more quickly. Kind of just give us some details on what the underlying trends are there. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that, Joe. Um, as far as the international markets, we've staffed up uh, not only our pre-sales uh, sales folks and, and SEs, but also our channels team and signing up local entities that 
those companies are used to buying from and have brand awareness in the local market. That's made a big difference as well. But it's clearly from landing new logos and bringing on new customers. Um, some expansions, like always, but uh, it's primarily just landing new new accounts. Uh, and that's been primarily in the uh, EMEA region. Uh, we've set up our hub kind of in, in the UK, uh, just outside London. And then uh, we have, um, you know, operations throughout the surrounding mostly Western Europe countries. And then we have uh, a big prominence in Latin America as well. So those are our two main international markets, uh, excluding North America. We obviously have Canada uh, as a big market as well. Awesome. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Next question is from Jim Fish with Piper Sandler. Hey guys, you know, enjoy, uh, keeping, uh, keeping it going here with 5.9. Um, just actually wanted to touch upon some news recently with Microsoft Dynamics 365 voice getting announced as, as a CCAS solution while you guys also about a month ago announced integration with Teams. I guess how does this relationship really shake out and how will that change the landscape from your view, especially for kind of that low to mid, uh, end where you're starting to see a desire for CCAS and UCAS together? Yeah, I'll take that one, Fish. Good, good to see you. Um, it's pretty straightforward. What they announced is very similar to what, at least the way I read it, um, was very similar to what I think Zendesk had done, you know, some time ago with Zendesk Talk uh, or Zendesk Voice. I'm not sure what they call it. And also, frankly, what Salesforce kind of did with their partnership with Amazon, but much more similar to Zendesk. So they added the voice channel. So Dynamics already had the digital channels, but they didn't have any kind of capability for voice, so they added that. They added that in, they think they, they said they're using the Azure voice services APIs. So um, I think it's, you know, uh, in keeping with that kind of activity, and, and it's interesting that it wasn't the Teams, you know, Microsoft Teams group that did this, but it was the Dynamics group that did this. So Dynamics are really the ones who we've had a partnership with for a long time. Uh, they, I think they also said in the second, in the same sentence as their announcement, but we're going to continue our relationships with 5.9, et cetera. And I think the recognition there is, you know, look, you need some sort of light, they, they need some sort of lightweight built-in talk capability, but for a full contact center solution, they're still going to be leveraging partners. At least that's the way I read it. Makes sense. And maybe I know we touched upon IVA having a really strong quarter with enterprise. Maybe can we talk a little bit about the attach of AI assist this quarter and how that Momentum has really been not just in the last quarter, but the last six months, um, especially post Enterprise Connect, where you guys were talked about as the best AI product. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks. So we, we've won a couple of awards on that front. And frankly, uh, we're seeing most of the traction is around IVA, but Agent Assist is seeing, you know, quite strong interest. I think in terms of, you know, especially the larger enterprises, they want to see that you're playing in these various, you know, parts, because I think nobody sees a one-size-fits-all in any one technology. There's no, like, silver bullet here. Like, one of the technologies can solve all the problems. So what they're really looking for is a complete solution that they can buy. And we're seeing much more traction on IBA just because it's a little easier to see direct line of sight to the, the, the sort of the return from for the return on the investment from, from a customer perspective. So... So that's what we're seeing. Agent Assist, we've, you know, we've had very, very strong bookings. Um, we continue to work on that, and we're actually going to share more um, details on this in our financial analyst day, so stay tuned on that front. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Next question is from Peter Levine with Evercore ISI. 
Let's take my questions to Chris on good quarter. So maybe just the first one is, can we get an update on the Mitel relationship? Just trying to gauge if there are any hiccups or delays uh, that came up during the Zoom transaction. And, and what are you baking in or expectations for the Mitel deal going into 22, perhaps even the 23? Yeah, we really don't have any expectations baked in from that. Um, you know, there's upside there. We've signed. So I would say, look, early progress uh, has been good. We've signed up a few of their bigger partners. Um, and, uh, and so we've already seen some transactions on that front, um, but still very early days. And, uh, you know, candidly, you know, during the Zoom conversations, I think that, that conversation took a bit of a backseat, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you more actually at Financial Analyst Day on, on this one and others. Cool. And then maybe one more for you, Rowan, is just, I guess on a uh, longer term, it's just the durability of maintaining your current pricing per seat. If you obviously have a lot to go back to your customers on today, drive higher upsells, but, you know, I would assume as you move further up market, by evidence of the deals you have today, or you won today, um, you know, there's some discounting. So how do we kind of balance that, right? Like, there's, yeah, there's discounting on the core. That this, your thesis is fundamentally right. There's discounting on the core offer, but what you find in these enterprises is that they buy the full portfolio. So those, especially the strategics, they have a real need to drive efficiency in their labor spend. And so that's where you see the IBA add-ons and the rest of the additional portfolio add-ons that we've, we've added are actually sort of maintaining that $200, $205 AS, uh, ARPU. And, and frankly, there's an upward bias there where it's starting to go up. It's actually being driven by the larger customers. So it's a, you know, there's a lot more that we can do for these companies. Digitization is not driven. These, this spend is not a cost savings activity primarily for businesses. When we talk to customers, it's not about grinding us on price because they're just looking to get a lower, you know, sort of per seat price. It's actually the conversation is all about how can you help us improve our customer service and our, you know, outbound sales efficiency and, and all the different things that we do for customers. And so the price pressure hasn't really been uh, exceedingly evident in our uh, in our base, even across, even up into the larger enterprise. Thank you. Next question is from Steve Enders with KeyBank. Okay, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the question here. Um, I guess I just want to touch a little bit more on the investments you're making into into next year that uh it's keeping eps flat i think uh versus, versus the guide just kind of wondering wondering what the biggest areas are of incremental investment that you're you're making and, and where those uh, dollars are going to be primarily focused on there you want to take that one yeah so um so steve it's uh, at a macro level it's three things and uh the automation international and um the, the march up market so taking them in turn um, there's still, in terms of automation, uh, a fair amount, uh, both in terms of the um, uh, incremental R&D, uh, no product is ever completely finished. But on top of that, uh, it's expanding the capacity. Given the explosive volumes that we've seen that Rowan cited in these uh, remarks, we need to keep ahead of that. And that takes people and um, hardware and maintenance. Um, the second one then is the march up market. Um, that's actually uh, more of the same, but we need extra channels um, and extra um, uh, uh, features and capabilities uh, to satisfy some of that, especially the global requirements. And lastly, and importantly, uh, and by the way, also in terms of the march up market is that building out the professional services team. Um, it is um, uh, 
a different kettle of fish handling a company the size of you know some of the ones that we've recently been talking about versus the the more um, the smaller companies. But and then lastly, international going into a new country involves a host of startup expenses, recruiting, legal, admin, and then you've got to sort of be able to find the right people. That takes time. You might not always get the right people the first time around. Uh, all of those things across the world for these global mega deals takes money. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the questions. Thanks. We only have time for one more question. Our next and last question is from Will Power with Baird. Great. Uh, good afternoon. Great to see you all on here again. Um, so, you know, I guess probably Rowan or Dan, you know, one of the reasons you all had pursued or agreed to the Zoom transaction, I guess, was in part because you were seeing at least some increased interest in bundled UC and CC offers. And so I wondered if, you know, you could comment just kind of qualitatively as you look at the pipeline, which seems like it's at record levels. You know, how much of that now is still line of business? I assume that's still the bulk of it. You know, what, what are you seeing in terms of UCCC interest or UCCC interest? And, and how do you make sure you still capture that piece, right? Solidify those relationships. And I guess kind of the third kind of piece of that, any interest in some sort of UCAS solution, you know, longer term is something that might, might fit. Sure. Yeah. I'll take that one. Um, and, and I'll cherry pick one, one of the things you said, but the LOB buyers in our base. So LOB buyers in our, uh, in our base and in our, you know, in our pipe are really almost 90% of the buyers. So they're very much, you know, there are some IT. But the vast majority, 90, almost 90 percent, are LOB based. And um, the opportunity with Zoom was really an, an offensive opportunity to grab a new buyer. And that was the IT buyer. And it was mainly, if you look at the Zoom presentation on the rationale for why they were interested in 5.9, it was all about the fact that they were selling UC and they could bundle a contact center solution to, the, to their buyer. And their idea, the buyer of a UC solution is typically IT. So it's a different swim lane than ours. And so it's, you know, it is not, uh, we're not seeing those buyers drive our business and they don't see line of business buyers drive their business. In fact, that's pretty well reflected when you see the way that we talked about the, 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 the integration, the conversations that I had with, with Eric were really about, we had to keep five nine separate because it was a very, very different go to market. And so that is a real benefit for us as we, walked away from that because nothing really happened to our go-to-market. We were going to keep it completely separate anyways. And as, as we move forward here, uh, you know, we still got an incredible opportunity. Frankly, I think there's, we're seeing more, we're seeing growth in the line of business and tech savvy, you know, kind of business leader who's driving a, you know, standalone or a digitization effort to upgrade your, your CX, you know, sort of your customer experience. And that results in, you know, a CRM upgrade often, and then a contact center upgrade. And UCAS is kind of not any part of that conversation. So good for us. And, you know, we're going to continue to drive incredible momentum here as we shared. And the confidence in in the long-term model, I think, reflects that. And there's no stepping into the UC market, by the way, baked into that long-term model at all. That, That market as a headline is going down, right? I mean, the UC space as a, Total market is declining. You know, voice over IP telephones are not the end all be all. It's not the next generation thing. It's a replacement cycle for a legacy platform. Great. Thank you. Thanks.
Before we close our call, I'd like to pass it back to Rowan for our closing remarks. Great. Well, thanks to everybody for joining our call this afternoon and supporting 5.9. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we have an upcoming Financial Analyst Day, as we, as we reiterated numerous times. Please join us uh, for that. That's going to be on November 18th. Barry, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and very excited to be able to share more about the long-term prospects of the company, uh, the market, and where 5.9 is heading. And with that, I'd just like to close by thanking all of our employees and partners uh, the real, uh, the real heroes of all of our sort of execution and the crisp delivery that we have been uh, so well known for on Wall Street uh, is as a result of our employee base. Um, and so I just want to close it out by saying thanks to all of our employees and partners. So thank you all very much. See you on Financial Analyst Day. Bye-bye now.